garden with a couple of my buds. I'm gonna sit up in the cheap seats. I wanna see a little blood. I wanna get my money's worth. Eat some dogs, drink some beers. When he allowed night at the referee. Go on, you bum, get out of here. Wanna see a hockey fight, little Donnie Brook, little Brew Ha Ha. If our team should score tonight, we all can yell hurrah, hurrah. Good day, wherever you're listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio. My name is Joe Hughes, or Radio Joe. Here with me in the studio is my co-host, Cliff Slotnick. Morning, Joe. And our cyber jockey, Zach Slotnick. Good morning, Joe. And today's timekeeper, unspoken instructor extraordinaire, Bill Wagon. Morning, Joe. Good morning, Bill. Thank you all for joining me here in the studio. Today's segments will include the microband trivia quiz, Period one of the Donnybrook scoping and pricing. Period two will be the IE Connections What's News with Steve Sauer. And period three of the Donnybrook will be the drying debate. We would like to thank our sponsors, Microband Systems, the microbial management company at microbandsystems.com. Our other original and continuing sponsor, Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry, Subscriptions and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. And Dry Ease Products, providing equipment for drying water damaged homes and buildings. Dry Ease is first in drying solutions at dry-eaz.com. Also, John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at johndon.com. J O N D O N.com. If you'd like to contact the show, you can go to the TalkShoe.com website. Our show ID is 1547. Last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the training you trust at www.iaqtraining.com. Even though we are using a hockey metaphor here today, this is serious business. The people we have online are respected professionals. We're having a little bit of fun with this. Uh, and to allow for a little fun with a serious discussion with some opinionated people in a non-hostile environment, we've set it up in this manner, and we want to thank the Commish Pete Consigli for assisting us. We hope the IAQ and Building Science listeners also take note of this format. Here I'd like to turn it over to Cliff Slotnick for the microband trivia question. two microband trivia questions for Friday, March 2nd, 2007. Going with the hockey theme, these are hockey trivia questions. Question one, what was used as the first hockey puck? Question one, what was used as the first hockey puck? Question two, it's a procedural question. If a hockey player shoots a puck that breaks and only half the puck goes into the net, can it be counted as a goal? Yes or no? Back to you, Joe. Thank you, Cliff. All right, Zach, I think we have a little intro music for our first guest. Oh, yes, we do.
Me work hard five days a week. Sweeping garbage from the street. Come home, not one book to read. Not enough pictures for me see. Sit right down in favorite chair. Wearing only underwear. Favorite night is Saturday night. Cause me can watch hockey fights. Me like hockey. Me like hockey. Thank you, Zach. Pete, Pete Consigli, do we have the commissioner on the line? The commissioner's here. How you doing, guys? Great. Excellent. Thanks for joining us, Pete. We'd like to have you give us a little reminder about what the RIA mission is and a little bit of a background on the Donnybrook. All right, great. Well, Joe, as, as, as some of your uh, regular listeners know, I've been on here before as the commission, uh, kind of pr promoting for what the eventually was going to be today's show. Of course, at the time, we weren't sure when it was going to be, but uh, I want to thank, uh, thank all the team members and captains and uh, referees and moderators that are called in today. They'll be on the show a little bit later. Uh, well, the RIA, for the listeners that, that don't know what that stands for, that's the Restoration Industry Association, and uh, we've uh, used this metaphor as uh, the Donnybrook League for the association to, uh, to uh, facilitate debate on uh, important topics based in the industry today. And uh, the topics that we're going to be talking about today are specifically uh, surrounding the water damage restoration and drying industry, and very specifically the aspect of drying. RIA's mission is to provide industry leadership support science, and to promote best practices for cleaning and restoration. And in that vein, uh, we'd like to thank you for giving us the opportunity to, uh, to bring some of our uh, debate issues and uh, the people that are going to be uh, engaged in debate on the show today. All right. Thank you, Pete. And we would like to introduce the caveat that no one is speaking on behalf of the Restoration Industry Association. The opinions are those of the guests. Thank you, Cliff. Before we move on to our first scrimmage, we will provide the players with the rules of engagement for the debate. Pete, the, the, se the second debate. The rules of engagement for the drawing debate are a little bit different. Because the position papers have been completed and published, we challenge you, the debaters, to attack the weaknesses of the competitive positions as a warm-up to the Donnybrook and Orlando. You have some time to worry about it, think about it, plan about it, and prepare. We'll come back to you in the third period. All right, we're going to go back to the commissioner for the introduction of the scoping and pricing team and their moderator. Pete? Okay, thanks, Joe. Um, well, uh, today on the show we're going to have three people representing the uh, total group of the scoping and pricing uh, team debaters. And uh, first one that's going to be on will be Dale Saylor, the uh, president and CEO of uh, Disaster Cleanup Network. And... Uh, Dale is uh, the moderator for the for the debate, and I'll uh, I'll let him get into some of the specifics of what he has in store of uh, protocols and how he's going to be handling that aspect of it. But the uh, two opposing viewpoints that will be on the show today will be Michael Griggs, who is uh, the team captain and uh, lead uh, position paper developer for the performance-based drying position, and the uh, opposing viewpoint, which uh, will uh, is termed the running rate or the mainstream. Uh, Protocols and Procedures for uh, Water Damage Restoration and Drying. Today will be handled by Daryl Paulson, and he is the um, uh, he is the goalie. He's kind of the second-in-command and peer reviewer and a co-author of the position paper, uh, Tim Cordell. Uh, well, he wasn't sure whether he was going to call in today, so um, there's a possibility he might call in. He's the team captain and lead developer, so he asked Daryl to fill in for him today. So uh, 
on that note, uh, why don't you guys take over uh, for the first uh, first period? Okay, perfect. All right, Dale, are you on? Are you with us? I am indeed. How are you? Perfect. As moderator, I've got a question for you. What is the vision for this pricing team debate? Well, I, I'll uh, put it in, in two terms. One is how do we ensure that the best restorer or best dryer, as the case may be, always win in their market? Um, one of the things that I've seen over time, and I think this echoes uh, uh, what everybody else has expressed as an industry problem, is um, that there are some folks out in the industry who may not be following best practices, and yet the best restorers lose business to them. And uh, with that as a backdrop, I think we as an industry have an opportunity to change the playing field so that the best win every time. Um, okay. And I don't know that there's anybody else in the market who would disagree that that should always happen. You want the best people winning. All right. Dale, this um, is Joe. Now, how do you see this um, evolving? How do you envision this evolving as time goes on? Well, we're, we're currently setting this up as a series of three sessions, uh, the first one taking place in Orlando in a couple of weeks, uh, with uh, the key uh, long-term objective of uh, – bringing folks into a, into a real dialogue between uh, two, uh, as we're positioning anyway, opposing viewpoints, the, uh, the running rate debate versus the, uh, uh, the, uh, the flat fee debate or, or something along those lines. And what, what happens in this industry traditionally is people tend to talk at one another uh, as opposed to talking with one another. So uh, I, we see this progressing as a uh, first, we will allow people to present their positions, but over the course of three sessions, we, we want to have a very visible debate in true debate style, where position one challenges position two with very direct questions, and position two uh, ha is basically forced to address them. Um, so that it, go ahead. Uh, why should our listeners follow this? Well, um, we've all sat in enough industry meetings, I believe, where we contend that other people are controlling what happens in our industry. Uh, the lead uh, uh, antagonist it has been positioned is the insurance industry. They, in fact, control what happens in our industry. Uh, and this is a way for the leaders of the restoration industry to, in fact, change the playing field uh, by setting a potentially a different set of best practices that are widely embraced, not only by the folks in our industry, but by those people in the industries that utilize our services. And we basically have an opportunity to position the way the game is played in the future. We can control our destiny, which I would think would be of interest to anybody in this, in this market. Thanks, Dale. I know that Kirk Bolden is listening, and Kirk, we're going to come back to you in the third period, and we're going to ask you the same three questions that we asked Dale. What is the vision, the evolution of your debate issue, and why our listeners should follow this? Well, it sounds like we're getting ready for the coin toss here. Okay. Cliff, do you have the coin? I do. Here, Joe, go ahead and toss it. All right. And 
It looks like uh, Michael Griggs will go first in period one here. Let me look at that coin for a minute there, Cliff. Oh, it says Mike Griggs on both sides of the coin. Hmm, what happened there? Uh, I like Mike Griggs. It actually says Mike Griggs on both sides of the coin because Michael Griggs is both the red team captain and the lead position paper developer. I'll go over the rules of engagement. Due to time constraints and fairness, we must strictly enforce a time limit, and that's why we have the official timekeeper, Bill Wagon. We'll use the mute, or Bill will say stop, to strictly enforce the time limit. A heads up to the players. You're each going to be given two minutes for offense. After each player has had their two minutes of offense, we'll bring Dale back, your moderator, for his comments on what you've said, and then we'll allow each of the players an additional minute for either their choice of offense or defense. Before we do that, we've got a couple of questions uh, for Michael. Michael, you're the instigator and the stimulus for the Donnybrook. What I'd like to know is what did you say in Denver? Can you just quickly summarize it for us? Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, basically, um, the, the idea was born out of the fact that everybody debates on what kind of equipment to use, what's the best. And my thought was, why do we sit there and debate? what's the best tool to use instead of letting the market determine what the best tool to use based upon efficiency. In our industry right now, we have what I consider he who is the most inefficient makes the most money. Other than lawyers, I don't know any other industry in which that's the case. And the bottom line is a lot of people can drive a, a nail with a sledgehammer. You can also drive it with the appropriate tool. And I believe if the market's forced to, it will make the correct decisions on types of equipment to use, how to do their job better. Right now, there's very little incentive to be the best they can be other than the fact that they, they make uh, indications or they a rhetorical statement saying, I want to be the best, I want to do the best. Now, I believe all the members of RIA want to do that. That's not the entire industry. I think there's a lot of self-serving issues that go on. And right now, we've turned this into what I consider an equipment rental business rather than, and I'm in the atmosphere. Comments so. that you made in Denver were not misconstrued. If you want to set the record straight or opportunity to recant, I mean, do you have it? Would you like to take anything back that you said? I think there was a misconception that this was anti-manufacturer, and it, in fact, it's not. I just want to put the, the equipment usage in the proper perspective. The practitioners need not be sold a piece of equipment and get entrenched, and that's the only way to do it. I think they need to look beyond that. I Michael, what I'm going to do, take a deep breath, and I'm going to give you two minutes to go on for offense. Offense and the timekeeper's right here. He's going to strictly enforce it. Michael, you got the puck. Well, basically, the golden age of the water damage industry is over. We are no longer an infant industry in which we can say, oh, I need to keep doing this on a time and materials or running rate basis. It's now time we move into what I would consider a more mature industry. After hundreds of thousands of drying jobs, you'd think our industry knew what the heck it was doing. It doesn't operate that way. 
While there are a lot of variables, we have a lot of tools in our industry to be able to understand the materials and how to get something dry and what it's going to take to dry it. We've turned this into, I want to justify my bill by documenting and putting items on a piece of paper, and there's very little incentive to be efficient. Right now, there's more incentive to be inefficient based upon a running rate. Now, we all say we want to dry, and, and I don't believe that really assists our industry. You know, uh, if anyone has ever reviewed somebody's bills, you'll see that these billings are all over the map. Some people are really good at what they do, some are not. And in our industry right now, all you need to do is go to a class, buy a couple fans and a dehumidifier, and you're a water damage expert. Well, if you go for two or three more days, maybe a week, buy a little bit more of equipment, seconds, now you're a water damage professional. Realistically, it's, di it's difficult in our industry to find out who are the real good players. I want to play, create a situation where we don't have a dialogue about what kind of equipment to use. We have a dialogue on who can do it best, fastest, and efficient. And in that model, he who is the most efficient will make the most money. Time. Very good. Very good. Thank you, Michael. Um, Daryl Paulson is the blue team goalie. Daryl, we understand that you had some concerns over what was said in uh, Denver. Would you uh, like to respond? Yes, thank you for having me on. Um, the discussion had to do with procedures versus performance. And I am of the opinion that procedures and performance are one and the same. You uh, perform uh, by using certain procedures and part of that is keeping track of the time that you spend on it. And the other part of it is keeping track of the equipment you use to perform those procedures so that you have a satisfactory result. And Daryl, uh, we understand that you represent the main steam position, uh, which is running rate pricing. We're going to go ahead and give you the puck for your two minutes of offense. Thank you. Um, okay, well, um, I think equipment gets debated a lot because it changes a lot based on who buys it and based on who decides uh, uh, how to use it. And I think science continually changes and improves that equipment. But I don't think all companies decide to invest in it or invest in the training to make sure that it's utilized the right way. Uh, so that part is why there's a lot of debate on equipment. I wanted to make a comment about uh, uh, the hourly rate and the equipment rental combination, combination that was uh, earlier mentioned. Um, the, the good part about that is the hourly rate is very low in a time in the last five to ten years where mechanics are now charging $100 an hour, and they used to be at 30 and 40 our industry is usually between the 40 and $50, and they offset the low hourly rate, which clearly only covers the cost, with equipment rental, very similar to the medical industry, where every single thing that they use to help a patient, they charge for, because it wouldn't be fair to charge for things they don't use. And so what I like about the hourly rate combined with the equipment rental is it's up to the professional judgment of the professional to use what's best 
to dry out, which is what is clearly very unique. Every time you go to a job, there are very unique circumstances, whether it's occupied, whether it's vacant, uh, the type of loss that it is, whether it's sanitary conditions, uh, whether there's known or unknown damage is, is a very important part of this job because many times the scope is not clearly defined in the beginning because of the unknown damage that sometimes you find out about after you've started. Thank you. All right. We've got a little musical prelude, interlude to the next segment. Okay, we should have all three of them back on the line, Dale, Michael, and Daryl. We're going to call upon Dale as moderator. Dale, is there anything you would like to add? Dale, anything you'd like to add as moderator? Um, you, you actually, uh, uh, I dropped you for a second. Uh, have you asked me if I have uh, specific questions for the two positions? Yes. yes. Okay. Uh, Michael. Uh, question for you, uh, one could argue that your position suggests that a competent restorer uh, may in fact have to carry a much broader uh, inventory of, of equipment, uh, desiccants and refrigerants and heat drying and uh, many other tools potentially to be able to um, bring the most efficient solution to each and every drying job. Uh, that sounds like potentially overhead costs are going to go up, which may in fact offset any uh, price gains or cost gains that are, are brought by drying a job faster. Michael, would you like to respond? Well, that, that's, not, that's not exactly true. I believe that through, uh, our industry is not real technically savvy. It's been sold a lot of a lot of uh, science that is spun in a certain way. I believe nobody argues to a carpenter. If a carpenter wants to have a handsaw and he wants to frame a house with a handsaw, he's certainly entitled to do that. He may not be the most efficient. If he doesn't want to go buy a power saw, he doesn't have to do that. But in a competitive marketplace, nobody needs to tell them they need to go buy a power saw. He will take the appropriate tool, and I believe the market will eventually figure out which are the best tools to utilize when drawing, rather than having somebody tell you which is the best tool. Through trial and error and through actual experience, a restorer will know what works the best in his specific climate, in his specific area, for what he needs to accomplish. I don't believe in the market we've got right now, people think at that level. They believe they've got, let's take the example of large desiccants. I've, I've talked to somebody that said, well, how am I going to get my equipment, my generators out on the job? Well, that, that's really inconsequential. If, are you working in the best effort 
of whoever's paying the bill, or are you working in your best effort? I realize this is going to be a tough one for restorers to swallow. Okay, Mike. Let's let you, uh, Mike. When you go on offense here, we'll, we'll give you that opportunity to jump in on there. Dale, do, do you have any questions or comments for Daryl? I do. Uh, Daryl, um, it sounds like you're proposing a standard flat equipment rental charge that includes the the labor associated with placing it, monitoring it, and the like. So um, are, in fact, you going public with a proposal that says, you want to what is X number of dollars per hour for a, a dehumidifier, and that includes all the associated labor, so you will not see a separate labor charge for that. Um, no, I'm not. I actually think that the labor charge should be kept track of as a separate uh, item. Uh, all parts of the country and the world have uh, different um, ways to deliver the equipment and different uh, obstacles in delivering it, such as traffic and such as certain buildings and elevators and things that take time to get the equipment where it needs to be. Uh, as far as pricing goes, I think that there should be guidelines and you should be within a 10 or a 20% margin of what the industry, so to say, guidelines of what everybody's charging is. I do think that if you go to a dentist office and you want to pay for $400 for a crown, that might not be as good a company. If you want to pay 700 or 800 which is the going rate of those dentists who think that they're the best, uh, that's who I go to. I think they put the shots in better. I think that they, they use better labs. And I think that there are companies that are good and bad in all industries. And I think that the marketplace, which is the customer, decides who they want to use again. And so I think you're going to be told whether you're doing a good job or not by whether you're getting repeat business and word-of-mouth uh, work from the results you've performed on the previous jobs. Now, let's go back and give Michael. Michael, you have one minute. Your choice, offense or defense? Well, I'll take defense. <laughs> okay. The basic, the basic premise is let's just keep it the way it is uh, without, without regard to if we're being efficient or not. We've sold the uh, insurance industry on, the, on this methodology that we're using. If it's in the best interest of getting the biz, of, of getting the building drier quicker if I open up the windows and exhaust air that may be more efficient but I'm not getting paid for my knowledge I'm getting paid to figure out what kind of equipment I can put in there and what's best for me it's a very self-serving model and and for the good of the industry you can't be totally self-serving on a constant basis you have to look at the greater good of the industry and say he who is the best at his job keeps winning rather than we're going to work to the lowest common denominator and we'll throw in you know some equipment anybody can drive like i said a three penny nail with a sledgehammer 15 so seconds use a hammer, they can get the job accomplished just the same with less with less cost let's work towards that dynamic excellent thank you mike uh over to Daryl. Daryl, you've got two cho you've got uh, two choices, either offense or defense. One minute, you got the puck. Defense. Go ahead. Okay. Um, I don't believe that we did sell the insurance company on this method. I believe they sold us. 
I believe that uh, that's been set up with uh, the pricing modules they've used, similar to the HMO, uh, where they can uh, set a standard price and then find people to uh, keep lowering that price, which I believe lowers the service at the same time. I'd like to make a comment, please, about the uh, open drying system. Um, I think it's uh, responsible and prudent for all drying contractors to measure the outside and inside air and open the windows when available. A lot of structures are closed environments, and you cannot open the windows. You must use equipment, but you should certainly dump that wet air out or exchange it. And basically, you have security issues. <clears throat> there are a lot of things you do. I, I believe, again, if you're, if you're practicing bad business practices, the customer will not. Okay, you're out of time, Daryl. Okay, we're going to bring the commish back. Commish, oh. we got you? We got Am I on earth? How's it going, guys? Great. Good. We brought the commish back right. in for some uh, anything you wanted to add at the end of this first period. Well, I, I guess the one thing I want to say is that uh, I'm real proud of the guys. I think they did a wonderful job. Uh, um, Dale, I think, set a good vision of where uh, where he wants to take the uh, take the debate and take the series, and, and he knows that I'm, I'm behind him 100% to support him on that. I think uh, I appreciate the fact that uh, I know the debate's going to get heated, but Michael and, uh, and Daryl were uh, very ge very gentlemanly and uh, and uh, actually uh, surprised me in a nice way. Um, <laughs> I, I, I could I guess the one thing I could say is is of course you know they know that everything they say now is memorialized forever and it's going people can podcast it, but I would suspect that. Um, when it gets to be kind of a little bit of a free-for-all uh, at the Orlando uh, convention, and uh, it'll only be word of mouth and people that are there, maybe it'll kind of loosen up a little bit. I suspect it'll happen. So uh, any of your listeners that weren't signed up to go there, they should think about that. And on that plug, I'll turn it back over to you, boys. Okay, thanks, Pete. We want to invite our guests to remain on the line. We're going to have a roundtable free-for-all at the end of the show. And uh, we'll bring everyone back, at least that can stay on the line. Uh, Joe, next and I'd, segment. I'd like to thank Dale, Michael, and Daryl all for joining us during this first segment. Our next segment is IE Connections, What's News? I believe you we have some intro. The kitten up a tree, welcome to me. And I'll see it makes it on the front page. The mayor's mother broke a toe. They gotta know. Stop the press. It's the mask. It's a scam. Welcome, Steve Sauer. Are you on the line? Yes, I am, Joe. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here, Steve. Well, what's news? Well, I don't have to choose uh, offense or defense, right? No, yeah. sir. <laughs> All right. Well, the uh, March issue of Indoor Environment Connections is going to press today. And on our front page is going to be not one but two big stories. One is on the accreditation of certification programs by the American Indoor Air Quality Council. And the other is on a document published about uh, three, four weeks ago by two state government departments in Maine. It's called the Report of the Mold in Maine Buildings Task Force, including recommendations regarding mold and moisture in Maine buildings. This is a fairly exhaustive document. We're talking like 71 pages. And it covers the history of mold as a public policy issue, especially over the last few years, and what makes it such a big item for consideration and also what's being said in the scientific community about mold and health. But uh, the most interesting thing about this report is that the task force was considering having the state government come forward and say to professionals, hey, here's a new set of cleanup standards for mold. 
here's how you're going to assess mold in buildings, here's how you're going to remediate it, here's how you're going to protect workers, and here's the state-mandated licensing program uh, for uh, people providing mold services. But as it turns out, the task force decided, no, we're not going to do that. There's already enough reasonably credible stuff out there on the topic that people can read. They're, of course, talking about the ASTM standard for assessment, IICRC standard for water damage restoration. Both of these are ANSI-approved standards, and so are the ASHRAE ventilation standards, both 62 and 62.2. The task force also recognized that a number of organizations have voluntary consensus standards that are authoritative, even if they're not ANSI-approved. And the task force report includes a list of them from IESO, ASHRAE, ACA, ASSE, NADCA, IICRC. All these documents are things that the industry is well aware of and already uses and likes. And that meant a lot of uh, a lot to the people in this task force up in Maine. They didn't want to reinvent the wheel, so to speak. And uh, so that was a conscious decision on their part. In the realm of licensing, they did the same thing and said, you know what, there are already credible certification programs out there that are CESB accredited, and we're not going to make the law do anything over and above that. Well, we're and, uh, the, uh, the acronym police are, are beating me pretty bad here, Steve. We'll have to straighten out some uh, of those acronyms on a future show. No problem. Oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll watch out for that. But uh, the the accreditation by the I was about to say CESB, and I'll instead say the Council of Engineering and Scientific Specialty Boards. That accreditation is what the other front page story is about. Uh, a couple of days after that main task force report came out, the American Indoor Air Quality Council announced that six more of its courses had just become accredited uh, by that uh, the council, the CESB. The IAQ Council now has eight of these accredited certification programs, meaning that they meet the established criteria and guidelines necessary to certify people as uh, engineers, in this case in the fields of microbial consulting and investigation, environmental consulting and investigation, you know, eight of these different fields. Um, the IAQ Council has a different program for each one, and they're all, you know, now accredited. Okay. The uh, March issue is also going to have more on the ever-unfolding story of the Institute of Inspection, Cleaning, and Restoration uh, Certification the committee there revising the mold remediation standard known as the S520. The latest news to come across my desk was the appointment of a new committee chair in Jim Pearson, who recently served on the board of the uh, Restoration Industry Association. Um, that's another news item, of course, the, uh, the name change of that association from uh, ASCR. And, of course, I got a lot of my info from IAQ Radio, where two weeks ago, Executive Director Don Manger made his first official announcement about the name change. Uh, but here's something interesting about that announcement. Uh, as he told the story, like uh, he inadvertently sent out uh, an announcement uh, about two weeks early to a bunch of people in the restoration industry. Oops, you know, he just sleepily pressed send on this email that wasn't supposed to go out until about a week later. But nobody leaked the information to me on the record, <laughs> but in, in the, which, which, you know, maybe that uh, could have happened and just didn't, but uh, who knows. In the case of the IICRC, I was able to pick up on some leaked information coming out of their uh, S520 committee, namely a letter of apology from one of its committee members for something he had done that could be considered a policy violation. 
So I got a copy of this letter and then another and then another copy of the same letter. I went to IICRC and said, is this letter authentic? Well, that alerted them that, oh, no, somebody's sending confidential material to the press. And that's a big deal to them because their committee members are sworn to confidentiality agreements. This set off an investigation into the leak. Our uh, publisher, Glenn Fellman, writes in his upcoming column that some have described it to him as a witch hunt, although he thinks that's probably an exaggeration. And uh, this is all really recent, so if there's any resolution to the investigation into the leak, it's news to me. But uh, elsewhere in the March issue, we're going to have a big legislative update telling us what's going on in uh, Florida, um, also, I believe, Indiana. Our uh, radon columnist, Doug Clatter, is going to go outside the mainland United States to tell us about some new training available to the people in Guam. And he explains why radon information is applicable to people in a certain geographic area, but not necessarily to another. So why a different training program had to be started in Guam, basically. Sounds like uh, you have a pretty wide-ranging number of uh, articles coming out that our listeners will certainly be interested in, Steve. If you have another 30 seconds, I'll tell you about a couple more. <laughs> Give me one quick one. Go ahead. All right, cool. Um, Give me the best uh, one you got. There's one coming up. All right. There's, there's one uh, that, uh, that people will, uh, will definitely be reading. It's on uh, drying buildings. Specifically, when you're drying a building, there are additional costs when you presume it's a contaminated building. And if it turns out that the uh, building wasn't contaminated, then your client might not want to pay you for the full amount because you, know, you don't want to do something that wasn't necessary. On the other hand, if it turns out the building was contaminated and you didn't dry it the right way, then you now have a liability on your hands. So John Banta from Restoration Consultants weighs in on why he chooses to err on the side of caution. And, uh, well, that's a pretty good chunk of what people are going to find in the March issue of Indoor Environment Connections. Sounds like that one might be a little controversial, Steve. We'll find out. I appreciate right. the uh, What's News segment. Uh, thanks for joining us. And thanks, uh, prior to the third period, I believe, uh, do we have anything to get ready? Well, let's bring the commish back in. Is uh, Pete on the line? Commish? Yeah, commission's back on again. Commish, okay. we need you to introduce the players for the third period, please. All righty. Um, <clears throat> well, the uh, first one up is uh, going to be Kurt Bolden. And, uh, of course, anybody in the restoration industry knows who Kurt is, but uh, we may have some IAQA listeners who don't. And uh, the reason Kurt was, uh, was selected to, uh, to be the referee for this Donnybrook is, uh, well, just because he, he can do it. Um, Kurt comes from uh, uh, Noblesville, Indiana, and uh, he's a well-known uh, trainer in the industry, uh, experience in the cleaning and restoration business, and uh, in addition to, to doing uh, a lot of testing of different equipment and different systems uh, at his uh, HydroLab facility. Uh, now we're going to have uh, three different representatives for the three uh, debates of the drying debate. Um, we're going to have Darren Hadima from Dry's Products, who's uh, representing the uh, LGR, low-grain refrigerant dehumidifier technologies. In the uh, desiccant uh, category, we have Todd Bradley from Concepts and Designs in Michigan. Uh, Dar Darren is the captain of his team uh, and lead lead uh, position uh, paper developer. Todd is the goalie, and uh, the uh, captain of that team happens to be on a cruise right now, and so he uh, he turned it over to the goalie to defend the goal, and uh, he also has authority to leave the goal and attack if he'd like to. And uh, Todd is the lead position developer for that paper. 
And uh, the new kid on the block, uh, Mr. Jeremy Reitz, and uh, he uh, he uh, joined the uh, the Heat team. And uh, the original captain in Denver was Art Johnson, and Art has a uh, quite a bit of duties with the association. And uh, he uh, he asked Jeremy if Jeremy would take over the captain position, so uh, they swapped roles. And uh, Jeremy has taken the uh, uh, captain and is also lead position uh, uh, paper developer for the uh, for the Heat Technologies team. So that's the lineup. And uh, I will turn it back over to you, gentlemen. Okay, thank you, Pete. Before we uh, do our intro music, we've got a little slight technical glitch. We're, we're trying to make sure that we locate Kurt. And I don't know if Kurt's got a code name on here. We're looking at, uh, let's try Linda H. Linda H. would be, would that they called it Linda H. would be it. Oh, great, great. Okay, then we'll hold on for one second, Kurt. We've got the intro music for this period three. Hey, good afternoon, Kurt. Are you there? Yes, I am. Thank you for inviting me. Perfect. You're the referee for the drawing debate, and we've got the same three questions that we want to ask you that Dale Saylor answered a little bit earlier. Uh, We would like you to talk about what is the vision for your part of the debate? My vision for the the debate would be, obviously, and I agree with a lot of things that have already been said, but I think our industry is struggling uh, with finding the right tools. And I think with education, uh, the technology is coming around. We are learning better, more efficient uh, ways of drying structure. Uh, The pricing, uh, I want to get into the issues. I I think that uh, without a doubt, the pricing structure is declining in terms of uh, return on rental. Uh, I think... um, you know, there will be a, 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 you know, some people, it's already been brought up, and I don't know how in-depth you want me to go here yet, Cliff. Um, you know, I think you will have to have a lot of tools in your, in your tool bag. You're going to have to have a lot of different apparatus uh, to dry the structures that we're currently drying. I think the other thing that's not really been addressed yet is what is dry. Uh, I think our monitoring systems, uh, we, we need to figure out how we're actually doing our monitoring on these jobs to make sure that uh, we are getting structures uh, thoroughly dry. Uh, so the vision would just be for a better, faster, more efficient uh, uh, drying, and that's basically what we do out here uh, is the testing, and, and uh, we're constantly flooding structures and repeatedly drying them over and over, trying to set uh, better protocols. Okay, Kurt. Now, how do you envision this debate evolving over time? Well, I think that uh, you're going to have some new players that are going to come in, I think, because I think the technology is, is definitely changing. I've seen... In the last 10 years, I've seen a, a great improvement on the products that are uh, currently in our, in our trucks. Uh, I'm very disappointed to see a lot of the old technology that we know now and can prove uh, is inefficient. A lot of guys are still using them. I agree with what Michael's saying. Uh, we, need to, we need to get that old technology out and bring the new technology in. And I guess the last question that we asked our first uh, moderator was, you know, why should our listeners follow this? We have a wide range of listeners, indoor air quality people, building science people. What, uh, what will they learn from following this debate? Well, I think, I think the indoor environment is important. We're spending a lot of time in a, in a built environment, uh, what, whether it's bacteria, whether it's mold, uh, the issues that we all address, the health and safety of the occupants. Uh, when you have a structure gets damaged by water, uh, I think it's very important that, that uh, they understand how that building should be dried, 
uh, and make sure they hire the right professional that has the right tools uh, in order to accomplish that. Well, Kurt, I know that you're in uniform and your whistle is handy. I'd like to repeat the rules of engagement for the <laughs> third period. Uh, the rules of engagement for the drawing debate are a little bit different. Because the position papers have already been completed and published, we challenge each side to attack the weaknesses of the competitive positions as a warm-up to the Donnybrook in Orlando. So what we'd like to do is bring on Todd Bradley. Todd is the goalie in the lead position paper developer for the desiccant drawing team. Uh, Todd, we'd like you to go on to offense as soon as we get you on for two minutes. Okay. Todd is... Pete, can you help me out here for a second? Uh, Todd Cordell. I'm sorry, Todd Bradley. Yeah. Yeah, Todd, Todd, I think it was... Uh, it was his, dry. His, I'm sorry. How, how dry. dry, right. How dry. How dry. There we go. Todd, are you there? Hello. Hello, Todd. Welcome to IAQ Radio. You've got two minutes to go on offense. Okay. Well, thank you very much for inviting us and to present the position for desiccants. Uh, essentially, uh, the desiccant dehumidifier provides a guaranteed way to reduce vapor pressure uh, irrespective of the temperature of the structure. The advantage is, is as soon as you hook the equipment up, it's going to start removing water vapor from the air, allowing the structure to evaporate water back into the air. Uh, it's a, a very stable process and one that uses uh, energy to actually take water out of the air at any temperature. It basically exceeds the performance of refrigerants, which stop at around 40 grains. We can actually provide uh, water levels uh, well below that, down into the 10 to 5 grain level. This large vapor pressure differential allows water to evaporate faster and dry deeper from uh, interior and interstitial spaces. Did I do my two minutes? You even got time left. Actually, you've got a... Um Couple, 45 seconds. About 45 seconds left. Anything you'd like to add? Okay. Well, essentially, in the restoration business, in this end of the restoration business, desiccants have not been really uh, well received due to the size of the desiccant and the cost of the desiccant. Most of the desiccants have been used drying very large structures, uh, large areas. Um, where it makes it much more efficient to use the desiccant and place the desiccant. Very good. Okay, well, thank you, Todd. Next, uh, we'd, we'd like to bring on Darren Hudima, team captain and lead position paper developer for the low-grain refrigerant drying team. Darren, are you on the line? Yes, I am. All right, Darren, go on offense for two minutes. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, thanks for uh, allowing us to, to do this forum. Uh, ultimately, uh, one of the things that uh, is a responsibility as far as the restorer, and I agree with what Kurt's words were, were to uh, basically make sure that uh, we're getting the building dried better, faster, and more efficient. And uh, one of the things that uh, we have to look at is what is the best way to do that? Michael was talking about a few things uh, as far as the different tools we have available to us, and I think that's what uh, ultimately this comes down to is how we pick the right tools. Well, when you consider where refrigerants have been in this industry, uh, they've been pretty much the workhorse in order for us to get the job done in the most efficient way. Uh, although refrigerants uh, had some limitations uh, in the many uh, years before uh, LGRs came out, 
and we still had equipment to help us get the job done. It's only within the last 10 years that LGRs have really come available, and uh, within the last four to five years that they've really become a workhorse in the industry. And looking at 80% of the losses that we deal with probably today uh, are residential. LGRs is a fix uh, and, a, and a perfect match for uh, cost-effective uh, drying when you consider um, the pint removal to lamp, amp draw, fuel consumption, things like that as far as other units are concerned. So what we're looking at is that basically 80% of our losses that we're doing can be done with LGR. It is a tool that is an important tool for the toolboxes that we are using in this industry. And uh, ultimately, um, when you consider the factors that uh, we're being faced with from the insurance community, being of the justifier costs, we basically have a responsibility to be able to provide them with good drying and at the lowest cost that we can possibly incur on that, wa on that loss as far as consumption, energy, etc. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we're going to bring on Jeremy Reitz. Jeremy is captain and lead position paper developer for the heat drying team. Jeremy, go ahead and go on offense for two minutes. All right, well, I guess I, since I'm probably the new guy to this, this arena, I'd like to explain that coming into this, I was not a heat proponent. You know, I mean, I wasn't backing heat. I just wanted to learn how to drive faster and drive better because I really believe that's where the industry needs to head. I don't know, I'm not commenting on pricing, but I agreed a lot with what uh, Michael Griggs said about as com competition gets more fierce, we are going to be forced, the market is going to force us to find the best way to do our job. It, forget about the pricing issue. The market will force it. That's just uh, the laws of, uh, of commerce. But as I got into looking into the science and trying to figure out how to drive faster, I found that the stuff that I had available to me at the time just, just did not do what I needed and started looking at the heat side of the uh, coin to, and seeing what effect it had in the drying environment. Ultimately, in 100% of the jobs, the addition of energy is going to speed the rate of evaporation. And ultimately, I think we get confused as to what we're doing. We think we're providing dry air. We're drying the air in the structure. And while that's, that needs to be done, what we're really trying to do is get the excess moisture out of structural materials that are wet and return them to a pre-loss condition. So uh, that's what we really need to be focusing on is, is what's going to create evaporation the fastest and control the environment uh, to the best ability, uh, best of our ability. And I understand the efficiencies and so forth are all issues that we need to discuss, but ultimately the, uh, the market is going to prove that the guy who drives fastest is going to be the leader in his market. Uh, that's why we've had... Uh, uh, Good way to end it, Jeremy. Thank you. Yeah. We're going to bring back Kurt, so Todd, Darren, and Jeremy, but first we're going to talk with Kurt. Kurt, as the guy with the whistle, are there any questions that you would like to ask any of the previous three presenters? I think, um, you know, it, and, and Cliff, do you want me to go through each one individually or as a group? However uh, you want to do it. You got the whistle. Okay. <laughs> Basically, I think, I think the, the, the number one thing needs to be brought up here is there is no magic bullet. There is no magic tool. Uh, at this point in time, all these tools have limitations. 
Uh, and I think the key um, to this is education. Edu being educated about tools and how they work will eliminate the problems that Michael's been bringing up, which is the inefficiencies. We're inefficient because we don't understand. So many people don't understand how these tools work. I think the industry is changing. So I guess ask a question uh, of Todd. You know, vapor pressure differential. Um, you know, you talk about vapor pressure when we're drying a structure. Do you have a do you have a sense for what you think the the exact vapor pressure should be in a structure? Is that a controllable commodity? And if it is, where should it be? Do we have Todd? Thanks for asking the question. Uh, thanks for asking the question, Kurt. Uh, essentially, the lower the vapor pressure, the faster water vapor will dry, uh, or the faster water will evaporate. So as you control a structure, uh, the lowest you can keep the structure in vapor pressure, the faster that'll dry. So there is no uh, perfect answer except for zero uh, if it's attainable vapor pressure. That's going to suck the water out of the deepest crevices. Okay, we've got the, I think the commish wants to come back in for a moment here. Commish, did we have a rules violation? What's up? No, actually, I, I kind of wanted to come on and make a couple of comments before Kurt came on, although Kurt, Kurt did a wonderful job and said, and I, I guess we're on the same page. You know, one of the things that I, I guess I, I think the listeners need to understand, and particularly the listeners who are not from the restoration industry, is what the real the core aspect of this, of this drying debate is about. And, uh, you know, in Dale's opening comments, he, he, you know, he, he asked the question, does, does the drying debate really matter? And he asked that as a rhetorical question and, uh, and then, you know, obviously uh, presented the vision that he had for the pricing discussion. And you can see now that even the debate, some of the debate people are actually agreeing with some of the price guys. So I think that these, these two discussions are, uh, are uh, you know, they're kind of running parallel, but at some point there may actually be kind of a collision or a cross because there's, there's a commonality between them. And the fact is, is that the professionals in the industry recognize there is no one thing that's the broad brush for everything. That, that in any given situation, you have to look at the scenario and you have to apply the tools that you have and what the best situation is based on a lot of the different dynamics that many of the team people have already talked about. Daryl brought up some and, and Jeremy comment, commented also, and even Michael. Well, the fact is, is that the, to, to get started with this as an industry, I think this is a process of self-regulation where, the, where the, through the, the vehicle of the association, we can get the competitors working together for a common interest to say, What's the best application for this particular technology? It's going to shift and it's going to move to more sophisticated questions as it evolves. And having said that, I'm going to turn it back over to Kurt because he's already started to go down that road. Thank Thanks, you. Ref. Right, Kurt. Kurt, what we're looking for, do you have any question for Darren? I think Darren, um, the only question I have for Darren would be, uh, as far as limitations, I mean, I think we all know that, that that the LGR um, has changed our industry drastically. Do you see um, LGRs ever forcing desiccants or high temperature out of the market? This industry is made up of a number of different tools for, for getting the job done. I, I liken us to doctors in this industry. And when you go in for an examination, basically a doctor will use a number of different tools to get to where the problem is. He may start out with uh, some basic things within the, uh, the, uh, uh, the examining room, followed by sending you off to an x-ray. 
most cases, the x-ray will get uh, what you're looking for. Well, if it doesn't show the results that he's necessarily trying to find, he's going to maybe move you up into an MRI. An MRI machine is not something they automatically go to. Why cost? It's just not feasible, and the insurance companies won't pay for it either unless you're able to justify the position. So when you look at LGRs, an LGR is basically a unit that has the ability to work in about 75% of the range as far as drying is concerned. Yes, desiccants will get you down that much farther, but we have a responsibility when it comes to uh, restoring a building to consider the science. And I think the biggest uh, place that I see a problem in this industry is a lack of education. And then when somebody is educated, a lack of actually using that knowledge and applying what the best tool is to get the job done. When you consider what our responsibility is as a restorer, it's to use the best tools necessary to get the job done. Well, that's not happening. And, and people aren't really placing out there what, how a particular uh, product, in fact, works. I'm going to use the challenge of heat in, in the science of drying. Yes, heat is one of the three factors that, it, that helps to um, facilitate drying. The problem is, if you don't have an extraction of moisture from the air, you're going to have condensation problems in places that you don't want that to happen. And if you're not using proper inspection tools and devices to help us determine which way moisture is going, we're causing damage in the industry. And desiccants and LGRs really do an extraction of moisture from the air. Heat doesn't. And that's where you can run into some serious problems. LGRs isn't pushing anybody out. It's just another tool that is necessary for the, the toolbox. Okay. Thank you, Darren. Kurt, would you like to ask Jeremy a question now? And, Mike, by the way, we've got Mike Griggs in the queue, so you'll be coming up here shortly, Mike. Hang in there. Very good. I think, obviously, this question is going to go to Jeremy, and I think he already knows what I'm going to ask. Uh, and this is where I think this debate is going to be so powerful once we ever get everybody in the same room and we can really get with it. Uh, the bottom line is, Jeremy, I'd like you to, to, to give them your two cents worth on heat, what is heat? How do you feel heat is affecting the structure in terms of how how does it help dry the structure? And what do you think an effective heat temperature and actual temperature of the surface should be or should be maintained at, and why? Well, uh, Kurt, I, I guess the the first thing I want to say is that uh, I think a lot of people pigeonhole me into it because I I am a proponent of adding temperature, adding heat to the the wet structural materials that I'm not. Uh, also saying that we need to remove excess moisture. And first of all, let's just get that behind us and say, uh, you know, that absolutely has to be done. The problem is that we don't under, our industry has not really fully understood how to measure that. We've always looked all at the, at the air. If we get the air completely dry, then that's going to, that is going to give us our answer. But we always, we also know that if I have 12 grains of moisture and the, and the, and the surface temperatures are 20 degrees, that it's not going to evaporate. Well, what bearing does energy or the addition of energy have on evaporation? Now, to get back to answering your question, you know, we're, we're looking at uh, uh, we can raise the vapor pressure of the wet material by adding temperature to that wet material. We're trying to get the difference, uh, the, the vapor pressure of the wet material to be obviously greater than that of the air. And it can be done both by dehumidification and by adding uh, high temperature, the, the the really cool part about adding temperature is that that gives you exponential increase in vapor pressure uh, at that wet surface. Now, uh, as far as a, as a specific temperature, I think that's a, 
that's a question that has to be answered based on what my air conditions are. Um, but, you know, we're looking to get our surface temperatures, the surfaces that are actually wet, you know, somewhere between 100 and 120, depending on the, uh, the manufacturer that, that, uh, that you're talking to. Okay, we've got a couple, we, we've got to finish this segment, and then we've got two people in the queue now. So Mike and Darren, hang in there with us. Okay, Cliff. Todd, we're going to go back to you for your one minute. You're going to have your choice of either offense or defense. Todd. Hello again. Uh, I think I'll uh, choose offense and a little bit of defense. Okay. Uh, the desiccant unit, one of the reasons that it was uh, used in the drying business, especially in large structures, is part of the desiccant process. As we take the vapor pressure out of the air, we do raise the temperature of the air. So if you were looking at my typical desiccant machine at a 75-degree entering air temperature at 30% relative humidity, we'd uh, discharge that air up around 100 degrees uh, Fahrenheit and uh, add energy to the structure. Uh, one of the things we have to look at is the evaporative cooling effect of the water as it evaporates. Uh, for every pound of water, we can uh, uh, eat up about 1,000 BTUs of energy. So Jeremy's statement is correct that energy is important and seconds. warmth does help. Uh, to dry out the structure. Uh, and the power of the desiccant is to add the heat as well as the vapor pressure differential into the structure. Okay. Thank you, Todd. Darren, you have one minute. Your choice, offense or defense? Well, I'm going to go with offense because ultimately uh, when I consider how we uh, – how we're drying buildings today, LGRs have obviously done a uh, majority of the work. One of the things that I look at is that uh, the LGRs also produce the heat that we're looking for as far as the temperature rise, and it's an adequate amount of the heat in order to prevent any further damage from occurring to the materials. The problems I'm seeing right now is that uh, we're seeing documentation is coming in that's showing that heat, for one, is basically... Um, causing damage in the structures. Um, we're seeing vinyl windows that are cracking or melting. We're seeing structural materials that are cracking. We're seeing moisture that is actually being pushed deeper within the wall cavities because of uh, no extraction of actual moisture from the environment. If you are running a heat drying machine, for example, down in the south, where you've got high grains, you're going to run into a problem as far as your vapor Okay. Thanks, Darren. We're going to bring back Jeremy for his one minute of either offense or defense. Uh, you got the puck, Jeremy. Hey, Go Cliff, ahead. can I jump in before Jeremy gets on there? Good, Jeremy. Yeah, just uh, if you got the cue going, I just got a cell phone call from our goalie on the uh, on the running rate, and he wants to get in the queue right behind Mr. Griggs. Okay, who, who would that? That's that'd be DP, Darryl. Mr. Daryl. Okay, no problem. okay, no problem, Pete. All right, we've got one minute for Jeremy. Offense or defense? Well, I don't think I have a choice. I <laughs> <laughs> can always punt. <laughs> All right, time starts now. Hey, right. I, uh, yeah, I, I agree with uh, with uh, Darren that uh, if if heat goes unchecked, that absolutely you heat a structure up too hot, you're going to have potential problems. Uh, you also have potential problems if you don't dry a structure out quickly enough, and uh, and. Those we all are very well aware of. Uh, we're talking about whether or not the addition of heat makes improves the drying uh, job or the speed of evaporation. 
when it's properly applied. Now, I don't know what documentation you're talking about or, or, or and so forth, but does moisture does heat put moisture or push moisture into the uh, farther into the the building? You know, I'd love to see uh, a scientific explanation of that. That sounds like uh, some sales rhetoric to me, but uh, yeah, get dehumidification and heat. You got a you got a plan. Thank you, Jeremy. Okay, we're going to bring the commish back. Commish, is there anything that you wanted to add at the end of the third period? Well, I um, <clears throat> I think that uh, I think the guys did a good job. Um, I think they're they're getting a little bit warmed up for the live debate, and of course. Uh, Kurt likes to say to say that I'm pretty good at stirring the pot, but quite frankly, I think the two of you guys, uh, Joe and, and Cliff, together, are do a much better job of stirring the pot than me. So I may actually turn that duty over to you guys. <laughs> and um, and uh, you know, I, as you can kind of see, I've really uh, I've really uh, turned the duties and the responsibilities for facil- for facilitating the actual debate uh, really really to the to the two referees or moderators, and and the team captains are doing a good job. And I I guess I want to say really for the listeners. Um, the behind-the-scenes stuff, the, the teams are really working well together. Uh, it's a lot of hard work. It's all volunteer work. Uh, granted, you know, di- different members of the teams obviously have some collateral benefit because they're in the manufacturing distribution business, the people in the training business, testing business, and then you've got a whole bunch of pract- practitioners who are just doing it to, to give back. And, and, and that's not to say that the other ones aren't, but I think, uh, I think everybody has good intentions, and, uh, and we want to get good information out. What, uh, what I've done is the commission, so your listeners know and understand, and um, – a lot of this will become public record over the next month or so. Some articles are published, and as we have our Orlando uh, meeting, and I'm going to be giving a giving a 15-minute uh, kind of uh, commissioner's speech uh, uh, to the introduction on all the proceedings. Is uh, we've set up a good format for how to uh, write the papers, um, how to uh, engage in the debate, uh, how to get at the Q&A, how to involve the audience, and really how to be inclusive of. Uh, all the aspects of the industry and including as many people that want to get in that we're able to get in. And then, and that's the commitment that I can make as the commissioner of the RAA, Donnie Brook league. So gentlemen, I'll turn it back over to you to all right. finish this. Up. Thank you, Pete. We're going to move to the free for all in a moment, but when we do, I have promised that Michael Griggs will be first in the queue. Intro music for this segment. Please, Mr. Linesman, let the players fight. 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 Let them 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 Okay, Michael, we're going to bring you back. Go ahead. I'll give you another minute. Go ahead. Bill's going to time you. Thanks for allowing me back in. Uh, the, uh, the comment I was I was listening to the the different equipment manufacturers and people uh, proponents. Excuse me, let me clarify that proponents of the different technologies. And really, it's a, it's a debate between mechanical dehumidification and what we call here is dynamic air modification. I think when I think our industry is in real danger of of saying heat. I'm modifying the atmospheric conditions to create a scenario. And, and, and if somebody wants to take that, pretty soon all anyone will hear is, if I turn the heat up in my house, that's all I need. So it's not really heat, it's dynamic air modification. And I've heard a lot of things. How do we really know? Everyone talks about cost-effectiveness. You don't know unless you let the market go. One other thing, documentation. Everybody talks about documentation. In our industry, it is all over the map, from scratches on a piece of paper to full-based web documentation and if anybody analyzes it you'd see the most 
Okay. okay. Michael, we had to cut you off. I believe we've got Darren uh, next in queue. Darren, back to you for a minute. Good morning. Uh, sorry about that. <laughs> no problem, um, Darren. Well, basically, uh, one of the things i um, looking at what Mike is bringing out, looking at the different tools that we have available to us, guys, this really comes down to, to the restore making good decisions as far as what is going to work and how to get the job done. I, I don't care what it is that you use. Uh, however, looking at how it works, you better have a good understanding of what it is that you're using, how it works, and it's in fact doing its job. I was asked, what documentation? We're getting documentation in here from insurance adjusters, from homeowners, in which it's showing damage that's being done, letters that are being written, why is this doing that, uh, as far as how moisture is moving, guys, I've got documentation, I've got information here from Dr. John Straub, I've got documentation here from Dr. Mark Bomberg from the University of Syracuse, basically these guys deal with heat models, they're dealing with heat and moisture movement through materials, okay. and they're basically telling Thanks, Darren, had to cut you off, you're out of time. All Back right. You, Joe. What we'd like to do is uh, quickly close uh, with any closing comments from some of the members of the panel here. Oh, I'm Pete? sorry, uh, Daryl Paulson. I'm, I'm sorry. sorry, we Darryl's have Daryl in the queue. queue. Okay. Daryl's in queue. Uh, Daryl, I think, four? is guest four. He's guest four. Go to guest four. Daryl, is that you? Hey, Daryl. Yes. Okay, we've got you on. We've Thank you, you Daryl. Go ahead. Take a minute and. Uh, Okay, I'd just like to make a comment about uh, uh, the, the way the industry is currently practicing uh, their billing practices and how the three past panelists just discussed uh, the LGRs or the refrigerants, the desiccants, and the heat. And my question has always been, uh, first of all, being somebody who operates all of those tools in our toolbox and believes there's a place for all three of those places and believes there always will be, uh, my one question comes up to me on a regular basis is, how fast is too fast? And as ASD chairman and developer for many years, um, which is the Applied Structural Drying course uh, that we put together, it was basically um, um, all about timely was the right word, the timely drying, and that's the word we came up with. And then as far as having many tools, that's why I want to be able to rent or charge for those tools, because I want to be able to have all the tools I need and then have the professional judgment and training to apply them what's best for my clients. Excellent. Well, thank you, uh, all of our guests, for your participation and, and especially your professionalism. This has been a, a lot of fun. We've enjoyed hosting it. We would love to get more involved as things go on and we also look forward to seeing and hearing more in Orlando once again this is Joe Hughes Radio Joe and my co-host Cliff Zlotnick yeah goodbye till next week saying thank you for listening to IAQ Radio and another thank you to our growing group of loyal listeners and literally and at this moment ladies and gentlemen Elvis has just left the building This has been another IAQ Radio production.